Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. My name is Christopher Gerald, and I'm a member of the North Jardo Church of Christ in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I also have a lot of friends here at this congregation, so happy to have an invitation from Brother Bruce and the rest of the eldership. Happy to have the hospitality of my sister Emily and my brother-in-law Craig as we got to stay with them last night and have a good soft bed and some good fellowship. And It's good to just see a lot of you that I know and love, and it's also great to see a lot of you that I don't know and, and I'm looking forward to getting to meet. It's always good to introduce ourselves, and so... Um, I guess where to begin, I, I've grown up in the churches of Christ. I was talking with Laura last night, and I guess I've been teaching um, since I was about 15 and a half years old. And I'll be 40 next month. Yeah. So um, you'd think that if I've been doing this so long, I'd be better at it. <laughs> but I'm thankful to have an opportunity to teach. I work at uh, Stillwater Medical Center, and I do healthcare technology, and keep computers going for inpatient nurses and doctors whenever they're trying to offer good patient care. And so I solve computer problems, but I like to be outside. I like to spend time in nature and sleeping on the cold, hard ground when I could be in a warm, soft bed in the house. I don't know why I like that, but I do. But what I like most is God's people. So I'm glad, glad to be here with you today. We're going to talk about a topic today that can be difficult at times, is hopeful all the time, but I believe necessary for this season of life that we find ourselves in. We're going to discuss a topic this morning called Chasing the Light Through Darkness. Now, if you really want your social media account to catch fire, here's a tip for you. If you want to be an influencer and get to you know, 20,000 like we just talked about, 30,000, just pose the simple question, are you glad that daylight savings time is over? Pretty soon... All your friends and family are going to start having it out about the benefits or whatever, right? So it's, we all know that it's getting dark earlier and that it stays darker longer and it's starting to get cold and the, the birds have flown south and the flowers aren't blooming and the grass is all dead and the trees are all brown, right? And the sky is cloudy and gray and the nights are long and people feel the impact of the change of the seasons, don't we? We feel that deeply. But we know that this is part of God's design. Everything surprises me, but nothing surprises God in the reading, and I appreciate it was given this morning. We find in Ecclesiastes 3, chapter, verses 1 through 3, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. As we look at this list that's given us by the wisdom of the preacher, we find things that when it's time to laugh, we're happy, but we don't really like it when it's time to mourn. Sometimes we go forth, as the song says, we go forth sowing in tears, but we reap that harvest in joy. Some of these times that we see described in the scriptures are happier and evoke better feelings and emotions than others. 
But we know that this cycle of the seasons and everything is part of the plan of our loving God. We are all very familiar with the spring, summer, fall, and winter cycle. It dictates just about everything in this hemisphere. I'm glad we live in a place where we have four distinct seasons. Or in Oklahoma, we can have all four in the same week if we want to. Let's talk about these things for just a moment to help unpack this idea that we want to introduce today. Spring is a time of new growth. It's a time of the bud and the flower bursting forth. The theme of the spring season is marked by persistence and determination. The buzzing of the bee as nature starts that insistent cadence of aggression and getting after the business of making summer happen, right? You can feel it when you go outside in the spring. And as that the, the produce or the, the product of spring ripens into summer, what we just got finished with, it's the season of fulfillment, the ripening of the grain, the, the filling out of the apple, full bloom. Things are sweet and lush and warm in the summertime. It's also a season of playfulness, and everybody likes to go out and play in the summertime. I'm not a summer person because I don't like to have fun. I don't like summer. It's hot and there's mosquitoes. It's sweaty. I like, I like things cold, right? Not good camping weather, which is my favorite. But we need all these, right? We need the, the harvest of the summer, which leads us to the season of fall, which is some people's favorite season. I love the fall. Fall has a theme of completion, of all the work that started right in the spring that we could see at least comes to fruition and we gather in the harvest. Everything is done. We look at nature and everything in nature is making a decision about it. What it has to keep and what it has to throw away in order to survive. The leaves, if they kept their leaves all winter, they would die from it. They shed those leaves so they can survive. The squirrels outside my window are finding acorns. and They're burying them everywhere. They're keeping what they have to keep in order to survive. And the rhythm of fall is completion, discarding, Keeping to survive. Now the thing is that after this good hard freeze we've had this week here in Oklahoma, the things are going to get pretty dead pretty quick. And then we look at the, the bleak landscape right after all the foliage is gone, and it can look kind of depressing out there. And a lot of times we think of winter as being the season of death, like everything's dead. But that's an illusion. I want to tell you that. That winter is not the season of death or deadness or darkness. It's actually everything is going down below the surface. The rabbit in its burrow. The sap of the tree goes down to the ground. All the, the things go down under. They hibernate. They shelter. They get ready. Because the reason they do that is because they have a hope that it's going to be spring again. And they want to survive. So instead of thinking about winter as being a season of of depressingness and death and darkness, the reason that we have winter is it points to possibility. It's a time to reflect on what we've done and what we need to do to prepare for the spring. And we only prepare for things that we have a confident hope of happening, right? So winter is actually a season of hope because we know that spring is just over yonder. Now, these ideas may seem a little strange for a sermon on Sunday morning. It's more like second grade. Right? But what I want to point out here is that even in the creation, 
God has set forth a pattern that we can evidently see that things are born, that they die, that they are go underground. But the thing is, is that cycle doesn't stop because we even here we see the pattern of the resurrection. Nature doesn't stay dormant and dead. Nature comes back. Everything comes back. The seed comes back. The root comes back. The fawn comes back. Everything comes back in the spring. So we see this hope of resurrection that even though things may be dark now, it's not over. It's not the end. Which leads us to this question that I want you to think about for a moment. What feelings and emotions does this time of year evoke in you? Now why do I ask that? Well, we're fixing to come into a time of the year where people can have a lot of mixed feelings. There are a lot of people who love the beginning of the, ho- the, the holiday season, starting with October. A lot of people call it spooky season. And then we're fixing to have Thanksgiving next week, which is a great, a great occasion for a lot of people. And then it's going to be Christmas and all the joy and the good memories and all the things that happen that we all get excited and enthused about at Christmas time. And then we're going to have New Year to, to send the old year out with a bang and start the new year in with fresh and new attitudes and new determination, all that good stuff. And there are just people who cannot wait for this time of year because it makes us think about whenever the Sears catalog would come. And anybody who's younger than me knows what I'm talking about. And I had this memory whenever I was a kid when that gigantic 14-pound catalog would be arrived via the U.S. mail. And I would throw that thing open on the carpet in the living room and I would just dream. Like maybe that Lego castle could be mine. See, that's a fond memory. A lot of you can know. Maybe you had that thing that you wanted. Or maybe it's a movie that you watch with your family or a song that you get to hear on the radio a thousand times while you're shopping. Here's something else, though. This is the hard part. It'll get better after this, but we have to talk about the other side of this season. It's hard. There are people in this room who just next week are going to get to spend their first Thanksgiving without Grandma. First Thanksgiving without Dad to carve the turkey. Next Christmas without someone that they love. There are people who do have people to spend time with, and there are people who in this time of the year feel very isolated because they don't have anybody. They get to sit at home in a dark living room without anybody to spend time with. They feel isolated, alone, hopeless, depressed, like it's not going to get any better. What feelings or emotions does this time of the year evoke in you? Does it make you feel happy, sad, or a mix? There's no wrong answers. It's not a pass-fail. It's just an honest assessment of where you are. 
We have an example of this in the Scripture in the book of Ezra, chapter 3. We have a situation where the temple was being rebuilt. And this event was looked at by two different sets of people and it got a different response out of each of them. Ezra 3, 12. It says, But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the temple that was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the, birth, the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the loud sound was heard afar off. Two different sets of people looked at the same event, and some people wept aloud because they remember what the temple was like the first time. And they remember when it got torn down. And even though things were happening, this event brought back all those terrible and difficult times. But other people who are fresh and new look at the same situation. They'd never seen a temple in their lifetime. All they could think about is how great it was that God's people would have a temple again. And I bring this passage up to let you know that these times of the season are great and they're joyous. And I'm thankful to God that our culture takes time to mark times of the year to celebrate, glow closer, and, and have a good time. But I want you to know that there are people out there who are suffering at the same time you're rejoicing. Let's talk about this for a moment. Offer some hope, and as we close, we'll talk about some things that we can all do to make it better. Seasonal affective disorder. I know this is going to sound like a pharmaceutical commercial, but hang with me. Seasonal affective disorder. Sad. Irony. Okay. Symptoms, and that's way too small, but in most cases, it can make you feel sad or depressed uh, during this time of the year. You can feel depressed most of the day or every day. You can lose interest in activities you like to enjoy, low energy, problems sleeping, changes in appetite or weight, feeling sluggish or agitated, uh, difficulty concentrating, etc. In the fall and winter, it's a very real thing. It's scientifically documented that people... Um, well, we're likely to oversleep, appetite changes, especially craving for foods high in carbohydrates, weight gain, and tiredness or low energy. I guess I just diagnosed myself. <laughs> I call that Thanksgiving. You ever feel that way during this time of the year? What's the cause? Well, there's a lot of causes. Your circadian rhythm can get messed up by the time change and that there's not as much sunshine and it messes with you, can mess with your serotonin levels. Your melatonin levels are a lot of things biologically that can happen along with the psychological and social impacts of this time of the year. It can impact your mood. So if you're feeling that, the reason I bring all this up is you don't have to think that there's something wrong with you if the season affects you this way. Okay, It's okay. It's normal. It's common. The question is, is what are we going to do? Are we going to stay in it or are we going to work to fulfill God's plan anyway. Darkness is inevitable. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 7 says, Truly the light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. If a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. And all that is coming is vanity. You know, things may be good now, but I promise that there are going to come difficult days. And you may be thinking, things are great for me right now, and I'm thankful to God that things are easy for you. But I want you to know that life is not always easy. It's not a matter of if you're going to have difficulty or darkness. It's a matter of when. It's naive to think that things will always be rainbows and kittens. Things are tough. Life is tough. Loss is hard. And so we need to be ready. And not be caught 
off guard or by surprise when things happen that shake us. Here's a passage from the Psalms where David talks about this feeling that maybe you can relate with. Psalm 143, verses 3 through 4. He says, The enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is in distress. Have you ever felt like that? That you've just been crushed? That you feel like you're down in a dark hole and you've been there for a long time and it feels like you're going to be there forever and you're never going to get out and you're just overwhelmed and buried with that feeling. You ever been there? I think David, in my study of the Psalms, I think that David would have been diagnosed with clinical depression today. Man, that guy, he had it rough. And he talks about that when the Psalms. But the thing is, is in the Psalms, David just doesn't complain. He always takes his grief. He always takes that feeling of brokenness or shame or depression and reframes whatever he's experiencing with an eye toward God. That was his focal point. He always has a turn in the Psalms. And sometimes we may be thinking, I wish it was just the way it used to be back in the good old days. Job 29, verse 2 through 3 says, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days where God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through the darkness. Sometimes it feels like God used to be with us, and then we enter a time or a season of difficulty or darkness, and it feels like God is nowhere to be found. And we think, God, I wish it was like it was before. You were with me. Where are you, God? Are you walking with me? I can't see your light. That feeling is pretty common. But the truth is that God is our light. Psalm 18 and verse 28 says, For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. This is a hope that the writer of the psalm had, that no matter how dark things may be, we still have hope in God. And I want you to know, that even though the seasons of life may change, the seasons of this Life and, and the nature may change. We have a God who made the seasons and He does not change. He is the same. We have to reconcile this idea that we are beings that are locked inside of this thing called time. And it passes slowly when we're not having fun and it goes like lightning when we are having fun, when things are good. Time seems like it's just flows, but God is a being who exists outside of time because He created it. And we need to understand that we are subject to vanity with groaning and expectation as the New Testament says elsewhere, but God is not subject to time. He does not change. James gives us this hope in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. What is the first thing that God made? God said, let there be light. And there was light. First thing he made. Light's good. And he's the father of it. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That means that God doesn't show change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Did you know 
That when God created life, he created the universe, he built all this stuff for us because he wanted to bring about a lineage of people to interact with a thing called humanity that he had never done this before. That he wanted to prove to the powers and principalities that were against him that he could bring up a race of people that had free will and give them a choice to love him and that they would. And he would triumph in that. We are the first fruits. God's never done this before. God did it first in Jesus. We follow him as our Lord. His whole will, the reason he brought us forth, is that we could be a new kind of creation for him. And I don't think that God would take that great plan and allow us to be wrecked by abandoning us in the dark. Do you? I don't. Jesus promises us that we will have light. John chapter 8, verse 12, And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I'm not saying that we won't go through dark times. I've just made an argument that we will. But the truth is that we don't have to live there. We don't have to abide in that darkness. That doesn't have to consume us. That Jesus makes a promise that if we follow him, we do have hope. We do have light. Jesus said, I have come into the light. I have come into, excuse me, I have come as a light into the world. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. John 12, 46. Jesus knows the world is dark. He came so that you wouldn't have to deal with it alone. I love this passage. I write all over my slides. I like to emphasize words and phrases and draw ideas together. This is my attempt at that. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So here's the breakdown. God, in His mercy, has qualified us. If it were left to our own devices, to our own behavior, to our own desires, then we don't have anything. We messed it up pretty bad on our own. But because God is gracious and He loves us and His desire for us is to be a new creation in Christ, then He qualifies us through Christ to be an inheritor, or excuse me, a partaker in His inheritance. What's God's inheritance? Eternal life. Not just another shot at life or growing old, but a whole new kind of life that He gives to us. And in order to effect that change in us, He says that He's got to deliver us from the power of darkness that we live in. Listen, if you don't have Christ today, you're in the dark alone. You may have been trying to do it on your own for a long time. You may know the guilt and the shame and the despair that comes from a life outside the lightning presence of God. But God's desire is to take us away from that power of darkness so that darkness doesn't have power over us anymore. And He wants instead to bring us into a kingdom of light, a kingdom of the Son of His love. So we are qualified we have the promise of God, and because of that, we have hope. With the saints in the light. You know, I don't know if you noticed. There's a lot of light in this room. We could turn off all the overheads, and there'd still be a lot of light in this room. Because when I walked in the building this morning, I saw smiling faces. I saw people who love each other. I saw connection 
I saw community. I saw people who have looked at the light of Christ, have internalized that, made it part of the way they operate and live their life, and they shine it back to each other. This, these are the saints in the light. I don't know if you noticed that this morning. I sure did. That's the promise we have. Qualified through the grace of Christ. Given the promise of the kingdom of God. And then we're delivered from the power of darkness into hope. Let's talk about hope. I think it's important that we know what we mean. I'm kind of an optimistic guy. One of our elders nicknamed me Mr. Happy Pants. Publicly. I can't help it. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm toxically optimistic, okay? But hope is not the same thing as optimism. Optimism is, it's probably going to be okay. I don't know what I just did. Somebody else is writing on my slides too, probably trying to improve it. Optimism is, it could be better in the morning. Optimism is, well, I know this is bad, but at least we have this. That's optimism. And optimism is not the same as hope. Hope is way stronger than optimism because optimism is a choice that I have that's based on if everything works out okay, then everything will be okay. But hope is a confident expectation. Hope doesn't mean, well, if things get better, then I'll be okay. Hope is a conviction and a choice to trust in God that says even if things don't get better, I know it's still going to be okay. Hope is, the scripture says, it's like an anchor for the soul. It steadies us and moors us to the bedrock of Jesus whenever everything else is up for grabs. Hope doesn't say, I hope it's going to get better. Or excuse me, hope doesn't say things are going to get better. Hope is going to be, it doesn't matter if things don't get better. I have something that's better than the better. So, Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4, David says, Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. When you're in the depths, when it feels like it's not going to get better, where do you cry? Do you try to cope? Do you have coping mechanisms, coping behaviors? Do you have habits or substances that you use to cope, to get by things that may be destructive to you? Or do you cry to God? When you're in the depths, I know that you can cry to God. I believe this is a psalm that foretells the burial of Jesus in the hope of his resurrection from the dead. Because out of the depths, he cried to the Lord and was resurrected and joined the land of the living. Here's a passage that really, this is kind of, this is the kernel, okay? Psalm 130, verses 5 through 8, continuing on. David says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. With Him there is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from His iniquities. What are you waiting on? I'm a camper. I like to sleep on the cold, hard ground. 
sometimes if you get a good spot out of the wind and it's dry and there's not a giant rock or a tree root under the small of your back, you can get a decent night's rest. But we've all known that there's those times where you're camping and you're getting a water drop on your forehead or you can't get comfortable or whatever and it's just too cold. And then you lay there on the ground listening to the coyotes howl and listening to the armadillo three feet from your tent rustling in the leaves. That happens a lot. <laughs> and you lay there in the dark and you wait. And you wake up. You look. Can you see the gray in the east? No, not yet. You look at your clock. Oh, it's 3 a.m. Okay. You lay down. You try to go to sleep. You wake up again. No, is there any gray in the east? No, oh, it's only 3.30. Okay. And you wait. Because you just want it to be light. You just want morning to get there. You just want to see in the east, the hints of gray light so you can see the sun peek over the trees and then you can get going again. You ever wait for the morning? You may have waited for the morning as you've been ill in bed and you just, I don't know what it is about, well, if it could just be daytime again, it would be better. I don't know. Or maybe if you've ever sat with someone who's ill and you just, and you're in that long watch of the night and you just wait for the morning. I was in that situation once with my father-in-law, Hugh Miller. He was in the hospital in Amarillo after a major surgery. He was very, very sick. and It was my night to go and stay with him. And one of his nurses came in, and she could tell that he was really suffering. And She said, sorry, I'm sorry. She said, I know that sometimes it just feels like you're walking in utter darkness. But she looked at him and she said, but it is going to get better. You're not alone. It meant so much that his caregiver would bring that message of hope during a long night when we were just waiting for the morning. Such a long night. Sorry, that's more raw than I thought it was going to be. Tough night. We wait for that morning. We hope. We trust that daytime has to come. Things have to turn around. What's your soul waiting for? Do you have hope? Do you have any hope over the horizon? Are you in Christ? Is your anchor, your hope, set to Him? Because with Him there is mercy, abundant redemption, and He will redeem. This hope is not just important in the sense that we know it exists, but it's actually that hope that saves us and keeps us through. First Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, but does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Here's the catch. Who are kept by the power of God through faith, for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I think we cannot overstate how important it is that we keep our hope fixed in what God has promised that He is going to do. The Bible says that that hope is alive in us because it lives in us. That hope not only exists in a, a real sense, but that hope itself keeps us in the power of God. And that we can look forward to that. That's not optimism. It's hard hope. 
And in Romans 8, 24, the Bible says we are saved in this hope. This hope literally saves us. And it says that that hope, what is not seen, is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. If you have something, like I'm not saying anymore, I hope we make it to church on time, because we did. Like I don't hope for something I already had. You don't hope for something that you've already attained. You hope for what you still look forward to, right? We hope for what we do not see. And in the interim, we can't just sit around sad. We can't just ho-hum. But we need to replace that with an eagerness and a waiting, a perseverant hope. And again, to hope is to fully expect and to wait for with conviction and faith in the grace of God. Psalm chapter 63, verses 6 through 8 says, When I remember you on my bed and meditate upon you in the night watches because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. You know what this verse is saying? The writer of the psalm, assuming in the moment that it's David, He's laying in his bed. Sometimes when we lay down and we want to go to sleep, we're bone tired, but our brain just keeps going. You ever had that happen? Your mind just keeps cranking. What are you thinking about? What's your hope in that time? David gives us an example. He says he turns his thoughts toward God. On his bed in the long night watch, he meditates on the faithfulness of God. And he thinks to the past. He thinks, you know, as I'm laying here in a difficult situation, God has been my help. Can you say that God has been your help in the past? Absolutely. We can look back in times where the Lord has come through, that He's been faithful as He has promised to do what He said He would do. He has answered those prayers. He has kept us by His power to this point in time. David then makes an assumption in his hope based on past performance about future results. You can invest safely, right? With Jesus. He says, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. And then he says, based on that, that hope, my soul follows close behind you. He literally is chasing the light. When things get dark, where do you look? Do you look to the light? Follow close behind. So how do we apply these principles in a way that helps build us up and strengthen the body of Christ as we close. Let's think about that for a moment. Okay. If you're struggling, it's okay. It's okay to tell somebody, I'm really struggling. It's okay to say, I don't feel like getting out of bed today. It's okay to say, I feel like I just want to eat my feelings when I get home. It's okay to say, I don't really feel like going anywhere right now. It's okay to say it. You're not weird. It's okay to admit that you're really missing someone and you're still in a grieving process about something. Or it's okay to admit to someone that you're feeling isolated and alone. It's okay. Find someone in the body of Christ that you love and trust and talk to them about that. 
Because sometimes whenever you can have a feeling and whenever you can express, you can identify and then express that feeling in a safe space, it helps it to dissipate. I promise it does. When you bottle it up, then it gets worse and you get overwhelmed and you feel like you've been long dead. You're crushed by all that weight. you got to get it out. Find someone that you can talk to. Now, if you're someone who is feeling pretty good, Praise God, right? I'm glad. I'm glad that you're encouraged and happy, and I hope you are. And I hope I hope to God that this season brings you warmth and happiness and great memories. There's a lot of reasons to make good memories right now. You can just look and you can hear them competing with me right now. I love it. What can you do if you know somebody might be struggling? Here's what you can do. You can reach out. You can send them a text thinking about you today. You can you can say uh, you can send them a card. You can say I'm thinking about you. I know this season must be tough since you just lost your grandfather, but I want you to know that you're not alone, and I'm thinking about you. They could have lost their granddad last year, and you can still send the card. It'll mean a lot if you do. I promise. You can say, Do you have somewhere to go this Christmas? Our home is open to you. Would you like to spend the holidays with us? We have an extra seat at our Thanksgiving table for you if you want to join us. You can say, why don't you join our home or join our family in our home for Christmas this year? Let people know that they have a place to belong. Let people know that nobody has to be alone during this dark and difficult time. And past the holidays, when we get into the difficult season of all the holidays are over and it's the doldrums of winter, it's okay to say, hey, We're going to be playing games with our family tonight. Why don't you come and hang out with us tonight? You can open your home to a place of light and warmth to someone who might be in the cold and the dark otherwise. You can do that and you can also be conscious and aware and look for people who might be struggling because I promise there probably are some in your sphere of influence, people you can touch who are struggling, who could use some encouragement. Remember the great thing about we can be a partaker of the Saints of light. Why are we the saints of light? Because we look to the light, we incorporate the light, and we shine that light back out. You can be a source. If someone doesn't know where God is, you can be the source of light. They need to point them to God, the true light. These are all things that we can do. If you're in the dark, look to the candle. If you're the candle, look out into the dark and find someone to serve. We can do these things together. As we chase the light of Christ, His hope, the hope of redemption, the hope of resurrection, the hope of the gospel of Jesus, we can point people to the light as we all chase it together as His children. Thank you for bearing with me as we discuss some topics today that are difficult and pluck at our heartstrings in a way that's sometimes hard to admit. But I thank you for bearing with me. This morning, we haven't really dived into the gospel this morning. But the gospel is the guiding light, our only hope. It's the point of everything that we do, or so I've heard. Without the resurrection of Christ and our faith in the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, and on the third day that he arose victorious over death to offer hope to all his followers, that there is hope of life after death. That because we as part of God's creation can join in that great cycle of resurrection that we see in nature, and we see most importantly in the person of Jesus. We can join in that today. 
if you have never obeyed the gospel, but you believe in what Jesus did, and you're willing to repent of your old life and turn your life over to Him, if you're willing to make a confession that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and that He died on the cross for you, was buried, and He rose again the third day, victorious over death to redeem all humanity, then you can be one of His. If you're willing to receive baptism, to be obedient, and join Christ in that burial and water and that baptism, to be raised up a new creation, to walk with Him, then we have a, a nice warm baptistry right over here that's ready to go. This morning, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and you've been obedient to the gospel, but you're struggling. And you need some extra support or help from the church to pray for you, pray with you, and to surround you in love. If you want the church to pray for you this morning, we offer that as well. We have an invitation song that we're going to sing in just a moment. And if you have a, church, a need that the church can help with, then I invite you to have a, a seat on any of these front pews while we sing this song together. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.